Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Foothills, how we doing? Good, good. Hey, can we say thanks to the worship team? That was awesome. That was awesome. Man, I, I, gotta, I gotta just stop and say, like, this is a moment in our church's history where I am having so much fun. I wish I could push the pause button and just let this moment live. I had a great experience in the month of July. First off, this series spinoff, we've had the privilege of hearing from some amazing pastors. Have they not all done an incredible job? But I also got to experience Foothills in three different locations. Earlier in the month, I got to hang, and party is the right word. I got to party with Foothills Espanol at the beginning of the month. That campus has a party going on. And then last week, Katie and I took our family, went over and worshiped with our Foothills Pendleton campus, and that campus has a vibe as well. I just gotta tell you, if you have a chance to get over there on a Sunday, it's so fun. It's so fun to get out and meet new people that God's bringing in to be a part of our church and just see like God is growing our church. It's a special, special season. It is one of those moments where I wish I could hit pause. If you're a parent, you'll understand this. There's also moments as a parent that you really wish you could hit the pause button and just stay in the phase that you're in. You wish you could just like Pause it. Let's not, let's not scoot too quickly out of this phase. And I'm not talking about the sleepless nights. I'm not talking about that. I know there's that country song. My wife plays it every time she's, she's up with one of the girls or we're up. It's, you're going to miss this. And no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to miss the sleepless nights. But I am going to miss the way that my daughters pronounce certain words. And I don't correct them. And so I've got, I've got a video of our daughter, Anna, singing her version of the classic country road. Check this out. Tons we woed, right? And then the West Virginia. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm not going to rush that. First off, I love the way she says it, so I don't want to rush past that. But second off, I've met people from West Virginia, and that's how they say it. So <laughs> I'm not going to correct that behavior. There are moments you wish you could just stop. Like, don't move too past past the phase that you are in. But that's not the way we can continue to live in life. Life is designed for us to continue taking steps and evolving and growing. And there's sometimes where we stay in a phase or people stay in a phase that it starts to get concerning. Like we're not concerned when a high schooler sleeps past their alarm or sleeps late. You kind of expect that of a high schooler. You're trying to help them grow up and, and make decisions, go to sleep a little bit earlier. But as they continue that behavior into college, Again, maybe not as surprised, but it starts to have some more consequences. It starts to be a little bit concerning. When they become a young adult and they've got a professional career and they're beyond college, it's, it's no longer cute and funny. It starts to be really concerning and it actually carriers, carries greater consequences. 
Or think about this scenario, like after college, a lot of times a young adult will move home to live with mom and dad. It's kind of a reset moment. They're trying to figure out where they wanna be, what they wanna do. Maybe they're saving for a down payment on a home. This is very, very common, no no big deal. If they're still there when they're 40, we need to talk. (laughs) We need to talk. If there's no plans or hopes or, or thoughts of where they're headed, but they're just staying put, this is not how we're designed to live. There's phases that we need to move on from, and the same is true in our spiritual lives. As we begin the process of following Jesus and becoming a Christian, Jesus did not intend for us to get saved and that be the ultimate moment and we sit right here in this phase as who we are today forever. It's the beginning of a relationship and a process where Jesus always has a next step of following him and trusting him with the future of our lives. Once he saved us, he now invites us into his purpose for our lives and into this relationship. But too many times, Christians get stuck right where they are. Or even more concerning, what can happen with Christians is rather than just being stuck where we are, we can tend to reach back to who we used to be or reach back to some struggles of our past And 2 Peter calls out this concern. It says this, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, and he's quoting an Old Testament scripture here. A dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. We've been walking through this series spinoff, and we've been looking at secondary characters or secondary stories in the Bible. What we're going to do today is we're going to go into the book of Genesis, where there is a main character happening starting at Genesis 12, God is beginning the process of moving towards mankind to restore the relationship that was broken in the first 12 chapters of the Bible. After creation, man chose sin, and that separated us from God. And so God starts the process of pursuing this relationship with mankind through the main character who we know as Father Abraham. And then we start to follow his many sons, the many sons that had Father Abraham. And the book of Genesis is God establishing his relationship with Abraham and his descendants. He's, he's building his people, Israel. But in chapter 19 of Genesis, we take a detour. We stop for a moment and we check in on a relative of Abraham's named Lot and his family that are living in a town called Sodom and Gomorrah that has been overtaken by evil and corruption. The enemy has complete control of this place and it's so evil that God has to do something about it. He's going to wipe out this city. But in his love and in his mercy, and especially because of his relationship with Abraham, he sends a couple of angels into this town to give a warning to Lot and his family so that they could be saved from this, so that they could get out of this situation before they face the destruction with everyone else. And they're given very specific instructions when they leave. When you leave this town, run for the mountains and do not look back. But what we're gonna do to start is we're gonna look at the end of the story where Lot's wife didn't follow these instructions and she chose to look back. Genesis 19, 26 says this, but Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. 
She started to move in the direction where God was leading her family. She started to embrace the future that God had, but then she reached back and this wasn't just a moment where she reached back, tripped, and then got to get back on the horse and, and start following God. This was of grave consequence. She was turned into a pillar of salt, stuck in that moment and stuck forever, lost her life because she couldn't let go of the life behind her and fully trust God. What I wanna talk about today, I wanna talk about how you and I can fully embrace God's future for our lives. Because choosing to take the step to trust God, like Lot and his family, it's difficult. And, and it requires faith. But the consequences of choosing not to trust God, they can be severe. And they were for Lot's wife. And I don't want you and I to have consequences like that when we could be experiencing God's better future for our lives than where we are today. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna back up in this story a little bit. And I'm gonna share some things that God showed me as I read this story fresh Again, so we're gonna jump back to verse 13 here. This is right after the angels have entered the city and first they go as scouts and they realize the town is as corrupt as they had been hearing. The reports are true. And when they realize this, they know their assignment is that they've got to, they've got to warn Lot and his family before the town is destroyed. And so here's the warning they give. This is verses 13 and 14. For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot, what did he do? He rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés. These are his son-in-laws. He's starting to let his family know. This is serious, okay? He's starting to let his family know. The angels are here. God is about to destroy this place. Here he says, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But how did the young men respond? But the young men thought, he was only joking. Here comes this warning from God that is serious. And the men took this warning from their family member that it originated from the angels of the Lord. They took this warning as a joke. If we are going to embrace God's future for our lives, the first thing that we have to do is take God's conviction seriously. If we're gonna embrace God's future for our lives, the first thing we gotta do, we have to take God's conviction seriously. Conviction, conviction is, is what, we, what we believe and value. And, and when our lives don't line up with our conviction, we struggle internally with that. What godly conviction is, is when our lives and our behavior does, does not line up with God's truth about his values, when our life is off of his values and off of what he determines that truth is, we experience godly conviction where he is inviting us into trusting him, where he's showing us, hey, the way you're behaving, it's leading you to a path of destruction and God does not want that for you. He, he is a God of mercy who wants to invite you into his protection. And so I put together just a, a small list of some of the conviction, the ways that God might convict us, what godly conviction looks like. This is a non-exhaustive list, but these are some ideas of how, if you're wondering, well, what, what, like, how would I know if it's God's conviction? Well, God might bring thoughts to mind or, or cause you to reflect on scripture that you've heard, truth that you've heard uh, from the Bible, maybe at church or, or maybe in your small group or, 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 or maybe something that, that you heard in a song at one point and that, that thought starts to come up and you start to think about how your life is not 
aligning with that story that you heard or that scripture you heard, that might be one way that the Holy Spirit is using truth, God's word, scripture, to, to convict you. Another is a hope for change or repentance. You look at your situation and you know that there's, there's more that's available. You dream about this. this. This in a more spiritual term, we could call this holy discontentment where you realize that where you are is not where you should be. And so you have a hope for a change or repentance, feelings of guilt or remorse when you realize the decisions that you are making are, are separating you from God. And, 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 and I wanna talk for a moment, I wanna pause here and talk about how guilt and shame are two different things. They're two different feelings. Guilt is something God allows us to feel when we've walked away from him and we start to feel the emptiness of, of, the, of the relationship that we're missing out on. The number one relationship you were designed to have is your relationship with your creator. And guilt is that feeling when we have departed and walked away from him. God does not move away from us. We move away from him. Guilt and remorse is that, is that brokenness that says, I, I, I can't, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I've got to turn back. Shame is a label. That's from the enemy. Shame is the label that says, yeah, that's where you should be. God doesn't love you. You'll never be loved by him. Shame is identity and labels that are thrown on. God does not want you to feel shame. He wants you to feel remorse so that you draw back to him. When God is bringing conviction, he's drawing you back to the relationship because he desires relationship with you. Could be feelings of guilt or remorse. Could be hopes of reconciliation or forgiveness in a relationship that's at odds. Maybe someone in your family or a friend. It could be spiritual hunger. It could be empathy that you feel towards others or a desire to see justice or a desire to serve others. This is, again, a non-exhaustive list, but here's some examples of how God might convict us to draw us to him. And when I think of godly conviction, I like to think of it as kind of the check engine light in our spiritual lives. You know, when, you're, when your car has the check engine light come on, it could mean a whole lot of things. You don't always know what the check engine light means. And you hope it's not something extremely serious or of great consequence when you see it. That's why I'm relieved. I've, I've had times that check engine lights come on. I go to a mechanic and I find out there's something wrong with the evaporation system in my car. And they'll tell me, you just need a new gas cap. I'm like, yes. All right, $20 fix with a check engine light. I'm feeling good about life. Thank you so much. But there's other times it's more serious. And, and here's the reality. Mechanics will tell you this. If you ignore that check engine light, if you ignore that small problem, it could become a big problem that creates bigger problems that lead to bigger problems. And you know when the best time to respond to a check engine light is? Right now or quickly. Right now or quickly. Because you know, maybe this happens to you. I'm, I'm pretty sure it would. It happens to me. If I don't respond in the first few days or even the first few weeks, or if I let that thing linger for a month or a couple months, you know what starts to happen? I stop noticing that the check engine light is on. When I don't respond to that check engine light to see what's happening, I become desensitized to it. This is what was happening spiritually for Lot's son-in-laws. They had become desensitized to the evil and the corruption and the culture around them that God was trying to get their attention in a very clear way. And they thought this was only a joke. They weren't taking this seriously. And even Lot wasn't taking it as serious as he should with the urgency that he should have. Check out how this continues in verse 
15, at dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. This is serious. But what does it say? When Lot still hesitated, even the angels of God, like God has sent angels to let him know there is destruction that's about to happen in this city. God is sending you a fleece for you and your family. And Lot is still hesitating. So thankfully in God's mercy, the angels seized his hand, the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them safely or to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. We did a series back in June called Divine Interruptions. This is a divine interruption. This is God coming in and interrupting Lot and his family's world and, and saying, no, you've got to come and you've got to come right now. This is serious. The best time to respond to godly conviction is right now. Because ultimately responding to godly conviction is you declaring that you trust him. And we have another word for that. It's called obedience. When you respond to God's conviction and move towards him, you're choosing to obey him. And when you delay obeying God, do you know what delayed obedience is called? Disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. The best time to obey God is right now. The best time to respond to God's conviction in your life and the invitation to a relationship with him and his protection and trusting him, the best time to respond to that is right now. Because if you put it off, you could become desensitized to it. Some of us get together and we pray each week for our church and our city and we pray over, over the message. And a few weeks ago, I was praying through... Um, I was just praying through this, this scripture and I was thinking about some of these points. I was thinking in my life and while I was praying, God brought up a conversation that I had been putting off, a conversation that I knew I needed to have. And it's something he's brought up multiple times in my past. He's highlighted multiple times in my past and it's the Holy Spirit convicting me that I need to take a step and trust him and have a difficult conversation. But every single time I, I weigh it out and and I argue with God on it. And I'm like, not, not yet, not, not yet. Or I'm not sure I really need to have this conversation. But on this particular day, God was making it clear that me not obeying him was me choosing. That was, that was, that was me choosing to stay put in the place of my path. I'm not gonna be able to grow and see more of him or trust him more if I don't trust him enough to have this conversation. I realize I'm gonna be stuck until I take that step. And I was scared to death, but what I did, I left that prayer meeting and I went straight to that conversation. And I'm telling you, I was scared the whole way to that conversation. Literally five minutes into the conversation, it's like, this has been around, this has been a conversation I've needed to have for a very long time. The weight was gone immediately. It was immediately freedom. <laughs> I mean, it was like, oh, that's how easy that was gonna be? Oh, like there's whole, like, like we're whole through this conversation, through me trusting, God, that's what this was? I was scared of that the whole time and it was driving me away from you. I wish I had been quicker to respond. If God is convicting you and you're delaying obeying him, you are not embracing God's future for your life right now. 
you're missing God's best, his best in your future as long as you are delaying that obedience. So number one, we've got to respond to God's conviction. But number two, let's, let's read what happens next and gather together. This is verse 17. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives. Here's the specific instruction that the angels are giving to Lot and his family. This is the specific instruction that Lot's wife ignored and that cost her her life. Run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. They're in a valley. Don't look back anywhere. What do you say? Oh, or he said, no, escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. This for us, we're kind of down here in the valley. This is go all the way up to Long Creek. Don't stop till you get there. Keep running. Get all the way to Long Creek. Don't stop along the way. Don't look back along the way. But look at how Lot responds. He says, oh no, my Lord. Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life. And you've shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village, key word here, nearby. I want us to just make sure we're catching that. See, there is a small village where? All right, let's say that out loud together. See, there is a small village where? One more time. See, there is a small village where? Nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I'll grant your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means little place. Lot had instruction. This was serious. This was a serious situation going on. He had instruction for him and his family to go up to the mountains, but the mountains was scary. That was unknown. That was unfamiliar places. He was sure that he wasn't gonna find protection up there, which is silly. When God invites you into his plan, you have a guarantee of his protection. But Lot was ignoring that part of the guarantee. He was looking at it saying, the mountains are unfamiliar. I don't know the mountains, but there is this village. God, can we strike a deal here? There's this village, it's nearby. This is close enough, and yet we're gonna be out of the city. So we're, we're obeying you, but this is far as we're willing to go. Lot chose a comfort zone. If you are going to embrace God's future for your lives, point two today, don't settle for your comfort zone. Don't settle for your comfort zone. Lot chose a familiar place out of the fear of what was in the unfamiliar place. I've played guitar for almost 20 years. And I wish, I wish that I could say that every single year that I have played, I have progressed and gotten better and better, but that wouldn't be the truth of the story. There's been seasons or even pockets of years where I improved, got better, got better. And then there are years and seasons where I kind of plateaued or even kind of regressed a little bit in my ability or knowledge. And then I'd kind of get inspired again and I'd, I'd work on things and I'd get better. But what can happen when I hit these plateaus is I can get into a rut that so many musicians can get into if you play an instrument. What happens is you learn a song or a riff that sounds good. And, and you, once you get the hang of it, 
Every time you pick up your guitar, you're like, oh, I can play this riff. And I like to sound good when I play. I don't like to not sound good. And, and when I play this riff or this song and it sounds like it's supposed to, like I'm having more fun playing and, it, and, it, and I'm, I'm good. And I, I feel like I'm good at this instrument. I remember I was at, I was at a, uh, a seminar one time in Nashville and there was a professional musician there just sharing. There was like 20 of us in the room sharing with us. And he said, he said, when you get ready to perform or step on a platform, you need to sound good. You need to have put a lot of work into that song or the parts of the song so that you can play them in your sleep and you are able, you are able to, to play your instrument extremely well and make good noise. In fact, know it so well that you can even get creative within it so that you're really singing through that instrument. He said, but when you're playing at home, you need to sound really bad. Your kids, your family, they need to think, man, daddy's not that good at the guitar. Every time he's playing, it sounds horrible. And the reason is because when you're playing something that doesn't sound good, it's usually because you're working towards something you can't do yet. And so you're challenging your brain, you're challenging your hands, you're challenging your ability to learn something new. You're not reverting to the thing you already know and just sitting and playing that same thing every day. You're learning, you're stretching, and you're growing. This same principle applies in our spiritual lives. So many of us, we take the initial step to start following Jesus and building our lives around him. But once we take a couple steps that we're challenging at first, we get comfortable with those. We think of the next steps he's calling us to and we're like, no. What we do is say, well, well God, I'm gonna go this far, but this is, this is as far as I'm gonna get. Because I don't know what's out there. I don't really feel like being challenged all the time. The mountains are, the mountains are crazy. The people up in the mountains are crazy. God, I, I, this is as far as I'm willing to go. God, I'm, I've, I've given you enough. I'm, I'm showing up. I'm showing up at church here and there, but I know you're putting, I know that you're, you're putting thoughts in my mind about what you're calling me to in my career, and that's gonna change. That's gonna change my life. That's gonna change my, my financial security, my, my trust, and, and, and just like the things I've put, I've put my life and trust in. I'm gonna have to like step out of, that's too far. God, I'll, I'll keep, I'll serve a little bit more. <laughs> I'll, I'll, sign up for, I'll sign up for another thing. I'll give a little bit more. But God, the thing that you're asking me to do, that, that's too far. I'm gonna go this far and then I'm gonna stop there. Or, or God, I, I have, I've, I've changed a lot about my life. But that relationship, that friendship, I know they're telling me it's unhealthy. I know my family's letting me know that this is still causing me to be trapped in my old behavior. I know that habit that I keep that I keep running back to, that decision I keep running back to. I know they're telling me it's destroying my life. I know, I know, but I don't feel like it's really destroying my life that bad today. And 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 God, I can't imagine my life without that that friendship. I can't imagine my life without that habit. I've changed enough. This is as far as I'm willing to go, but I got to stay nearby. I got to stay nearby because going beyond that is too difficult. Where is it in your life that you have settled for a comfort zone? What are the comfort zones that you are settling for? Because the reality in this story is that the comfort zone for Lot is the danger zone for Lot's wife. I never really caught this detail of this story. But when I recently read it, I couldn't help but think, if Lot had trusted God to go to the mountains, if Lot 
had trusted God and led his family all the way to the mountains. I wonder if his wife would be turned into a pillar of salt or if we'd even have this story written this way. I wonder if Lot, as the man of his home, choosing to settle for a comfort zone, put his own wife in the proximity of the past that destroyed her. I wonder if him choosing to settle for a comfort zone put someone he loves in their danger zone. Your comfort zone could be your danger zone, but it could also be someone else in your life's danger zone. That's why I love how the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he talked about how he would sacrifice certain freedoms in his life if he felt like that freedom that he made a choice to, to partake in was putting someone else in danger of falling back into old habits and old sin. He, what he said is he, there, was, there was literally, there was a time he said, I won't even eat meat that, that is sacrificed to idols. This is some, some history here. He said, I won't even eat that food if it's gonna cause others to kind of get back into a religious spirit and a religious mindset as opposed to fully trusting God. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sacrifice things that are I'm able to do, I'm free to do, and it's comfortable for me. I love that stuff, but that's a danger zone for my brother or sister in Christ. So I will even forego that because I'm not going to put them in a danger zone. What the apostle Paul understood and what he teaches all throughout the New Testament is that following Jesus isn't about following a list of rules. Like he crushed a spirit of religion. He crushed the spirit of legalism. But what you will hear all throughout his letters is that following Jesus Following Jesus requires us to become selfless. It's not about the rules we follow. It's about laying our selfish desires and our selfish wants and our selfish things behind and saying, God, we're gonna do things your way. We're gonna trust in you and we're gonna love you and love others more than ourselves. When we choose a comfort zone, the reason we do it is because we are selfish. Comfort zones are selfish. Comfort zones are selfish and they could be putting you in proximity of the past that could get you stuck and cause you to miss God's future for your life. They could also be putting someone you love in the danger and in the proximity of what's keeping them from experiencing the future that God has for them. Don't settle for your comfort zones. If you want to embrace God's future, his better future for your life, don't settle for comfort zones. Lot's wife was in proximity of Sodom and Gomorrah, her home. They were told not to look back. They were told, don't, don't look back. But what happened is they went to a town that was similar. It was a small town and, and it was similar. And so she could imagine where life was gonna head in this small, this little place called Zoar. She could think, okay, here's, here's where the path is headed now. But what she really started to do was she started to do something we all do. She started to over-romanticize the past that was back in Sodom and Gomorrah. She started to think about the home she left, the beautiful home that they had. She started to think about the community that was back there. She started to think about all the opportunities that were back there, all, all the things. They, they, I wonder what they were able to pack and what they had to leave behind. She started to think, but wait, but wait, I'm having to leave. She started to think so much about her loss that she wasn't able to sit in and, and see what God was doing right in front of her. If we're gonna embrace God's future for our lives, the third way we need to do this today is we need to count our new blessings. Count our new blessings. 
Lot's wife was extremely blessed in this story. God's mercy, in God's mercy, he sent two angels to her family. Think about that. That's crazy. He sent two angels to her family to give her a warning that God has no, no obligation to give, just simply his love and mercy saying, I love you enough that I'm gonna reach down here and let you know that, that, that the evil that's happening in this town, it's not okay and I'm about to wipe it out, but I love you enough. I'm gonna invite you out. And in fact, when your husband hesitated, I allowed my angels to grab y'all's hands and I led you out. And here she is in this little place, Zoar. She's got her family. She's there together. She's missed the destruction that's about to happen. God has provided protection for her and her family. They get to be together. They have more dreams and hopes and, and a future where God is going to do new things, but she couldn't see the new thing and the blessing that was happening right in front of her because she was so focused on what she lost back there. She didn't count the new blessing right in front of her. I've, I've shared a lot that I'm a, I'm a big college football fan. And I want to start, I want to start, before I share this story, I just want to start by saying I come in peace today, okay? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I made a joke about Clemson football. And I have, I've talked about some really controversial topics on this stage. I have never received the amount of hate mail uh, that, that I got in the last couple of weeks. So I, I come in peace. I'm just letting you know, I'm not gonna make any jabs at Clemson. To be honest, I'm not gonna make them at Clemson anymore, but I am gonna ask you as your pastor, could you please stop threatening me and my family? <laughs> Would you just, like, just, just let us breathe a little bit? No, so I, I love college football and I'm always waiting for the beginning of college football season, almost like Christmas morning. Uh, I love it. And I know many of you feel the same. So growing up, one of the ways that I would get excited about college football season and prepare for it is I, I loved playing video games. I, I had a, a NCAA football and my PlayStation that I would get the new edition every year. And it usually would come out at the beginning of the summer. So you had all summer to kind of imagine that you're on the college football team. And I'd grab my team, Alabama, and I'd build the dynasty. And actually me and my dad, this was a way we would connect at times. We'd, we'd play this game together as I was growing up. One of us would be the quarterback, one would be the wide receiver. And it was just, it was a fun way for me to engage. I'm not a big gamer outside of that. I didn't really uh, get into other games, but, but football was the game that kind of stuck and that I would, I would play. And, and so, so I'd play college football. Now, as I started to grow up, I, I got married. Now we've got kids. I really kind of stopped playing uh, video games, stopped playing college football video games much. Um, we, uh, we, like once, once we had Haley especially, which she's, she's almost five, I was thinking about it the other day. I think I've only played like maybe twice or three times in the last few years that I've touched the game. But... They stopped making this particular game, college football, NCAA football. They stopped making it about 10 years ago because of all the rules around payer, uh, players getting paid and, and stuff like that. So uh, as they stopped making it, even though I haven't been able to buy a new one or haven't thought about playing it, I've held on to that one game because at, at certain times, I just want to know, like, I can, I can pick up that game and play and, and, you know, jump into this college football world that I love so much and it's going to be awesome. Well, earlier this summer, Katie and I uh, took on a project at, at our house. We wanted to update kind of some of our outdoor space to create a spot where we could 
get a fire pit and set up chairs where we could create memories with our daughters and kind of as a family. And like any house project, if you've ever done a house project, it always ends up taking a lot longer than you think. And it, it, it requires inflation. The, the budget always gets bigger than you think. Once you get started, it costs a little bit more than you thought. And so we'd spent everything and we got, we got the groundwork done, the landscaping set, but we, we had not purchased the fire pit yet. And we were out of, we were out of our, our budget. So we're, we're big Dave Ramsey fans. We do the, the envelope deal. And so we're like, well, we'll have to wait, you know, a month or two before we take that next step. But I remember that it was like a couple mornings later, I'm sitting there doing my quiet time. I love doing that in the, the living room. And this game that I never play is sitting on the shelf. And the PlayStation that I never use is, is on that same shelf. And I, and I look at it and because this game was, was, they stopped producing this game, this one version has a lot of value. It's worth more money than a video game should be worth. And I started thinking about that for a moment. I started calculating my mind. If I sold that game and the PlayStation, oh, I'd have enough for the fire pit. And then what I wish I could tell you is that I quickly and easily went and sold that thing. But instead, I sat and I thought way too hard about this decision. I started, like, I think I sweat a little bit. I was like thinking about it, like, well, I could sell it, but, but then, I won't, then I won't have it. The last thing that I was gonna do, I, I didn't tell Katie I was thinking this at all. I wasn't about to, to speak it out loud. I'm sitting there, I'm wrestling through this, what should be an obvious decision, right? This should be an easy, obvious decision. This was not easy or obvious for me. This is something that, I, that, that mattered to me. I valued it way too much. And, and I'm sitting thinking through, what should I do? What should I do? And finally, I was like, God, you, you, you've provided me an opportunity for me to embrace this season. You've given us a beautiful family. I know the right thing to do. This is so hard. I'm gonna do it. So I, I sell the video game. I sell the PlayStation and they sell quickly and it was awesome. And I go get a fire pit and we set up the chairs and that first night uh, evening, we sit around the fire pit and we make s'mores. And I just stopped to count this blessing. I, I took a photo and, and we've got, we got the photo of this moment. Um, it's a sweet moment. And, and as I'm sitting there having at the fire pit, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is 10 times better than that, than that video game sitting on my shelf that I never play. Like, God, you're right. Your future for my life, it, it's better than, than the things that I'm holding on to. And there are difficult things that we have to let go of, but if we'll embrace God's future and we count the new blessing that's right in front of us, oh, it's sweet. Now, I went and bought the video game the next day, but kidding. I'm kidding. No. I know that video games is a silly example, but I bet you've got some silly examples in your life. I bet there are small things that you're, that you're holding on to that you've settled in a nearby town for a comfort zone. And maybe God's brought his conviction and he's, he's highlighted it, but just, I don't know. Not yet. I'm not sure the consequence is serious enough. And so you've stayed put and you're missing all these new blessings that God's got for you on the other side of trusting him. If you'll take that step and move behind and trust him, Isaiah says this, forget what's happened. Don't keep 
going over old history. Be alert, be present. It's the right now. It's the right now. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? The bottom line of the message today is this. In order to embrace God's future, we have got to let go of the past. In order to fully embrace God's future that's better for your life, the future that God has prepared for you. I know it's scary. I know you're unsure about the challenges you're gonna face in the mountains. I know you don't feel equipped for it. I know it's not gonna feel right along the way, but, but God's calling you to trust him. And if you will trust him and embrace his future, he's got better for you, but you cannot do it as long as you are remaining in the past or continuing to reach back to hang on to those things in your past. And the most important place and area in your life that you could choose to reject God's future and stay put where you are is by rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are settling for just showing up at church or listening to a different type of music and listening to worship songs every now and then or reading your Bible every now and then, and you're settling saying, that's as far as I'm gonna go, but, but submitting my life to Jesus, confessing that I am hopeless without him, that I am a sinner who has no ability on my own to pay for my sins, receiving that, being humble enough to receive that, that's too far. If you miss that, the consequence, it's not just serious here, it's eternal. It's eternal. And Jesus warned about people choosing to skip out on that future. And he used our spinoff character, Lot's wife, as the example. This is in Luke 17. It says, remember what happened to Lot's wife? If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms. For some of you, today is the day that you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. For others of you, I want to ask you, where is God convicting you in your life right now? Where is that check engine light coming on? Maybe it's been on for a while and maybe you forgot about it till today. Maybe you have been desensitized to it, but God's reminding you of that area, that question, that thought he's brought to you. Where is God convicting you today? Where is it that you've settled for a comfort zone because you're afraid of trusting that conviction and following Jesus? And if you've started taking steps what are the new blessings that you're missing? What are the moments you need to take your phone out, capture a picture and capture and count that blessing that God is giving you so that you don't get, you don't get pulled to the allure of the past that's not for you anymore. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that God would help you to embrace the future he has for you. Would you join me and pray? God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for this story in scripture. And I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your mercy for Lot and his family. 
that you showed up, and God, you've done the same for us. You've shown up in our lives, and you've brought conviction to our lives. You've gotten our attention, God. In your mercy, you've gotten our attention that, that our life, our past, it leads to a destructive place, and the consequences are severe. So God, I just thank you that you're opening our eyes to that, that you have opened our eyes to that. But I pray for the courage of my friends here, my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for the courage to trust you enough to take that next step. That some people would leave aspects of their past behind even today before they leave this room. That God, they would take the conviction that you're placing on their heart seriously. And that God, they wouldn't settle for saying, I'll do it later. They wouldn't settle for for bargaining and saying, okay, God, I'll do this much, but not that much. God, that they wouldn't settle for anything less than the mountains them running all the way to the mountains. And God, that you would help, help them to capture those moments, to count every new blessing that you're throwing their way. God, the mountains and nothing less, the mountains and nothing less. And so God, I pray right now for anyone here who has not trusted the most important mountain, the, the, the hill of Calvary, where Jesus, you shed your blood for our sins. For someone who has not trusted in you, Jesus, I pray that you would give them, give them the courage to do so right now. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, you could pray a prayer with me right now saying this, Jesus, I want your future for my life. I'm done with being stuck where I am. I'm done with turning back to that habit. Jesus, I need you. I thank you for coming here and living a perfect life, but dying the death of an imperfect person for me. And I believe God raised you from the dead. And so today I ask you, Jesus, to save me from my sins and I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. It's in your amazing name that we pray, amen.